0: we're very excited today to bring you the latest episode of the Salt Crypto Show, uh, featuring the second appearance from the great Plan B. So Plan B, he's also at 100 trillion USD on Twitter, is a pseudonymous Dutch institutional investor uh, with a legal and quantitative finance background. Uh, He created the Bitcoin stock to flow model, uh, where he uses scarcity to quantify Bitcoin value. The stock to flow model is not only applicable to Bitcoin, but also to gold, silver, and other assets. Uh, Plan B is currently working as an investment manager in a team managing a multi-billion dollar balance sheet. Uh, Why the name Plan B? So Plan B refers to an alternative plan for quantitative easing or money printing by central banks, uh, negative interest rates, and currency debasement in general. 100 trillion USD, which is his Twitter handle, is a reference to Zimbabwe's $100 trillion uh, US note during the 2008 period of hyperinflation. Hosting today's talk is Anthony Scaramucci, who's the founder and managing partner of Skybridge Capital, which is a global alternative investment firm. Anthony is also the chairman of SALT. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anthony for the interview.
1: Well, Plan B, thank you for uh, coming back on SALT Talks. You know, it's interesting. I, was, I went back, our first interview, Bitcoin was in the mid-20s, $20,000 per coin. I don't remember the exact number, but it was like twenty five, twenty six thousand. 26000 It rocketed to 69,000 and uh, it came back down. But frankly, Bitcoin's at $40,450 as we're speaking right now. And for any Bitcoiner that has a historical reference point of Bitcoin being a couple hundred dollars, five dollars, there's been nothing but a meteoric rise to Bitcoin. Why do you think people, human nature, investment theology why do you think people are so willing to attack bitcoin because of its volatility and are not able to step back the way you are to see the true arc of bitcoin success
2: yeah anthony thanks for having me again and uh in that in that interview that that interview you mentioned we probably joked about um bitcoin going up and then crashing back to 40,000 one day and and there we are today. <laughs> uh, and I think it's an excellent question about the volatility because I mean bitcoin is so volatile it it gets attacked for that attribute but with the volatility comes the return and I guess um experienced investors n- know that that there cannot be return without volatility but I've seen it personally uh, with the stock to flow model and with Bitcoin now three times up and three times down that when Bitcoin is up very much, everybody wants to buy it and stock to flow model and plan B is the man, the myth, the legend. But when it's down, and 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 where we are today, and we we experienced that in in March twenty twenty with the COVID uh, when COVID first hit us, but also in 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 March twenty nineteen when I published the article, we were really very much down. Then it's 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 all Bitcoin is dead, and and it's a bear market. It will go to zero. It 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 seems like a black or white thing, and um, uh, and and investors and people in general seem to forget that that is just volatility and the overall trend if you for example look at the 200 week moving average the four-year moving average the overall trend is going up uh, and never goes down so yeah it's it i guess it's a question a question of uh, perspective
1: okay so it brings up a good point because uh i follow your stock the flow model you explained it brilliantly the last time you were on uh, I would love to have you recant it a little bit because we've added a, a tremendous amount of listeners since you last came on. Um, your stock to flow model from a trading perspective, short term, Bitcoin traded in the lower band of the model. You're being criticized for that. People are saying that the model is invalidated, but me doing this for 33 years, studying assets, securities, cash, dollars, foreign exchange, When I step back and look at your model, I think it is the most prescient because there's a expression that Warren Buffett has. I would rather be roughly right than precisely wrong. And the point being is when you step back and look at it, uh, it's doing more or less what you said. So how do you respond to these critics? And describe for us once again, your theory behind the stock to flow model.
2: Yeah, excellent point, and 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 that Warren Buffett quote I, I use it a lot. It 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 um, goes back to the volatility argument. Uh, if, if if an asset is very volatile, then the chances of, of estimating or evaluating it it very precisely are lower than if it's an asset that doesn't move very much, so like like gold or actually any other asset. So, to try to predict or evaluate Bitcoin is a is a very it must be a very rough estimation. And uh, and you're right, the stock to flow model is very rough. So, stock to flow is basically saying that if a, if an asset is scarcer, it should be more valuable. And um, well, how do you quantify scarcity? Uh, there is a um, yeah, a known measure. That's the stock to flow measure. It's the, the the number of years it takes for a, a reserve in a certain asset to to, uh, to re- replenish that reserve. So for gold, there is sixty years of production above ground stock, um, and so the stock to flow ratio is is sixty. So the the scarcer an asset, the, the higher the stock to flow ratio, the higher the value of that market should be. And it's a very yeah, principle-based, very intuitive thing that scarce things uh, are more valuable. And, and this model, very roughly, very simply as well, because it, it doesn't use any other input variables, any other factors to value the, the, the Bitcoin, it uses that, that same scarcity to, um, to, to value Bitcoin. So it's very rough. It's very not precise, and I guess it would not be very usable for trading, um, more, like, uh, more, more than investing. So it's, it's really a very rough compass, if you will, for, for investors.
1: What do you think Bitcoin has been unable to sustain its momentum over the past six months?
2: Yeah, there's a lot of stories about manipulation, about uh, the futures ETF. Uh, coming alive uh, with all the possible manipulation around that there's a lot of speculation about central banks pushing the price down much like like in the gold market but i think it's it's much simpler than that we saw a uh, china miners miners ban halfway uh, last year and that wiped out half the hash rate half of the security of the network that was a major Thing major structural event, macro event you might call it even for Bitcoiners, but that wiped out half of the hash rate, and and all the miners had to move and relocate their their stuff to uh, the countries around China and to America, uh, Texas mainly. Um, so that was the number one reason, very obvious, very clear, uh, to impact the price of Bitcoin. And currently, obviously a lot of tech stocks are going down the S&P uh, goes down and and a lot of other assets go down because there is a risk of interest rate rise and the Fed has well spoken about tapering about cutting back on the quantitative easing that well that helped any asset increase in value if it was real estate or stocks or or bitcoin so if they would stop if the central banks would stop the uh quantitative easing the money printing that would certainly impact um assets as would rising interest rates of course influence influence the um the the asset valuations negatively but so so that's that's clearly what's going on right now and by the way i think they're, they're just talking the talk and not walking the walk they they normally try to push asset prices down the central banks by just mentioning uh, rate hikes. And I don't know if they're really prepared to go all the way and, and well, crash the stock market, for example. I, I, in my experience, it's, it's, they, they won't run that risk. And, uh, but it, it will be a very interesting couple of months. And, and that's, I guess, the main, the main topic right now. And a lot of tech stocks are being hammered as we speak
1: yeah I mean I think the Fed did a good job of jawboning, and you're yeah. right that they you know and I I don't there's no way they're moving six to eight times this year and all that sort of nonsense they they have no ability to do that uh, and not only that they've been buying uh, assets at a million dollars a minute since the crisis started in April of 2021 and they're buying assets right now as you and I are speaking um but I guess Are the risks associated with growth assets, early adopting technological assets, are they higher today than they were two years ago? And if they are, has your view of risks associated with Bitcoin evolved since we last spoke about a year ago?
2: Well, yes and no. I think there's a lot of risk out of the system right now. So there was a risk of, uh, for example, before the halving, there was a risk that well, there was a, another mining death spiral. So uh, that miners and Bitcoin would not survive the halving where the the revenues for the miners would put half. But well, we obviously survived that. And then there was this big risk of China banning and China China uh, attacking Bitcoin. Well, obviously that risk has gone as well, because China is no more no no factor of influence anymore. They they uh, stepped out of the bitcoin market and and pushed all the uh, investors and miners away. So I guess there's a lot of risk that was in the market two years ago that it's that is gone right now. On the other hand, I think Bitcoin is one of the last assets that is, for example, not supported by uh, by uh, the central banks um, like stock stock markets is. Um, so there's a lot of volatility in Bitcoin, and I think it's it's here to stay. So there's a, a view that, like, like all the big tech stocks like Amazon and Google, that all the volatility and risk is in the beginning, uh, before the IPO or just after the IPO. There's a lot of legal risk. There's a lot of technology risk about a new technology uh, making it or, or not making it. But I think, and then later on in the if if the adaption kicks in then the, that risk goes away, and a lot of people a lot of investors view bitcoin that that way so the so right now we're we're a little further in the adoption, and the volatility should go away but i think um Bitcoin is volatile by nature, so there is a chance that it will not be the same like all the high tech uh, stocks, Amazon and Google, and, and so, so that the volatility will stay. And, and that is also the, the source of the, uh, the high returns, because it's, it's, it's a double-edged uh, sport. If, if the volatility goes away, the returns
1: go away. So, but personally, I hope the volatility stays, and I think it, it will. Started, we're starting to see countries, states, cities embrace Bitcoin. Why is that? And do you think that trend is going to continue? I certainly think that trend is going to continue.
2: And as a matter of fact, there is rumors in the market that the second country after El Salvador will adopt Bitcoin within three months. Um, we don't know which country that is or where those rumors. We'll talk about it. Uh, and there's a lot of... Com- Countries thinking about it. Well, I think it's a very smart move. To be honest, Uh, if we look at El Salvador, um, if you declare uh, Bitcoin as, as a as a strategic advantage, as a technology that will help your country and your citizens, and you make it legal tender like El Salvador did, then you attract a lot of Bitcoiners, technology brains, capital and much in the same way that um, um, America did with the Silicon Valley. If if you embrace technology like Silicon Valley did, you attract all the engineers and all the capital and, and venture capital, and that will bring great prosperity to your country. Uh, so I, I think what El Salvador did was very wise. We saw it playing out last couple of months, uh, and El Salvador is now one of the few countries in that region that that has uh, a positive growth trend in tourism in general economic economy um, uh, growth it's yeah I, especially countries uh with a currency of their own that doesn't do very well because they what well, made policy mistakes in the in the past they they printed too much money they had too ambitious government programs that had to be financed and so countries like uh, Venezuela, uh, Turkey, uh, Brazil, Mexico would be ideal candidates to uh, make Bitcoin legal tender like El Salvador did. And that will, I'm sure that will bring great prosperity and it will cut that. Yeah. The, the power that the IMF has over you. So yeah, it's a risk as well because the IMF will, will fight like it does with El Salvador, and it will maybe not extend your loans, and uh, you will have some troubles there. But but the money will come from different different parties, uh, from from Bitcoin investors, from from venture capitalists. So yeah, I think that will be the big trend of the future, and in fact, that will that might very well be the trigger that we need to make the next step up, the next 10x, if you will.
0: Plan B is a follow-up to that question. Fidelity put out a great uh, annual report on Bitcoin and crypto, and they, they were specifically focused on Bitcoin. And the, the argument they made around adoption of Bitcoin by sovereign countries was basically a game theory uh, approach, whereby you know there's a saying in Bitcoin that things happen slowly and then all of a sudden, right? And And what could happen with Bitcoin as people start to lose more trust in sovereign currencies, is that uh, various countries feel like they need to own a significant amount of Bitcoin for this new, for the shift to a you know Bitcoin standard or whatever you wanna call it. And thus you'll start to see countries accumulate Bitcoin over the next couple of years, just so they can get ahead of this you know, massive supply crunch that we're gonna see. How much do you uh, subscribe to that theory, that sort of game theory approach that the countries that buy now are obviously gonna be in a very advantageous position, when we start to see that supply crunch uh, potentially over the next few years?
2: Oh, I, I subscribe to it very much. I, I think it's very true. The whole Bitcoin concept is full of this, this kind of game theoretical elements. And uh, the, it's the same game theoretical Thing that that's also true for individual investments like uh the sooner the, the yeah the early ones get all the profits and uh, the earlier you get in the the more profit you make I mean uh, anthony was was telling about twenty thousand Bitcoin twenty thousand dollar bitcoin the last time we spoke I think that was about the time that that fund that your fund also started which obviously looking back was a very nice uh, entrance uh level that that Current investors cannot make, and that will be the same with uh, with countries. So, don't know what the average uh, price level was that that, that El Salvador um, um, started investing, but yeah, it, the first the first mover advantage is is huge and. Um, yeah, it's a difficult, it must be a very difficult decision as it is a difficult decision for, for individual investors and especially for institutional investors, but certainly even more for countries. But I guess you can, you don't have to go all in. You can, like El Salvador also, they have two legal tenders, legal uh, uh, currencies, huh? legal tender. It's, it's the dollar is also usable in El Salvador. So you, you can uh, sort of, yeah start slowly and, and step right. up that game.
0: Why do you think the IMF is is so hot at El Salvador, right? You know, it's, it's gone beyond just saying, yeah, we don't think this is a great idea. And, and they're making now threats toward El Salvador about, you know, their debt and, and borrowings from the IMF. Why do you think it's so vitriolic? Is there some concern, do you think, from, you know, global elite economic actors and and uh, supranational organizations that Bitcoin could disrupt sort of their monopoly on global money supply?
2: Yeah, I think there's legitimate fear for uh, more countries doing the same as El Salvador did. And that, of of course, diminishes the power that the IMF has and and that the uh, central banks, especially the US central bank has uh, over over countries like that. So it's, yeah, I would be very afraid uh, I don't think they can stop it unless with force, and we've seen many examples in the past that, of course, the diplomatic and financial aid is the first step, and then force is the second step. So it's, yeah, I think it's very, very interesting to see what happens and what the IMF does next because it, it, what did it? It it, it urged El Salvador. To, to, to cut the uh, legal tender uh, standard for, for Bitcoin. But El Salvador said, no. So yeah, what's, what's the IMF's next move? Um, they, they must be very afraid, because El Salvador is a very small country. It doesn't have an impact on the world economy. So why are they so aggressively and so fiercely fighting El Salvador? It's, it's an interesting question. I don't have the answer, but sure to watch it uh, very closely.
1: Let me let me let me test an answer on you, because I actually I'm going to challenge you a little bit. Plan B, I think you do know the answer. Uh, They have a monopoly on money and they have a monopoly on control as a result of their monopoly on the money known as fiat currency. And they don't want countries like El Salvador to break that because they use it as a political weapon. They use it for sanctioning purposes. They use it to. Grease the skids of a whole host of different things that governments work on. And since they can print it, uh, they can finance things at very, very low cost. It has an absolutely horrific effect on the middle class and the lower middle class. I grew up in a blue collar family. They've ravaged these blue collar people. Plan B, we we turned aspirational working class families into desperational ones as a result of their policies. So. Uh, am I wrong? Uh, uh, push back on me. Tell me uh, what I'm getting wrong.
2: No, I think you're right. And I, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> I didn't want to mention it. But since you mentioned that, that's, uh, of course, exactly what the IMF is doing. And and it's not very different than what normal banks are doing. right? And I'm saying this as a guy that worked for banks and, and issuers companies and pension companies. Uh, having loans... Um, uh, having investment in loan and giving loans out to to um, to people is, is a great business and you want to keep those people as, as long as possible on those loans and paying interest and and um, uh, so the best thing that would that would happen is if a, a person or a country in the, the case of imF would, would would get you would provide the loans and they 'll They'll they'll pay the the interest and and you'll keep them on the loan on the leash as long as possible because you have full control over those persons so, uh, and and I guess it's very brave of El Salvador to uh, yeah to to get to get loose from that from that position and and it might be because there was really no other way but it might also be because um, they have a volcano they have some some. Uh, yeah, some economic power too, so they can build on that. And, and, and the same is true for persons. You can, you can work, you can, you can get rid of your loans, your Visa card loans and all that. And, and I think it's a very smart move.
1: We've seen an explosion in altcoin activity, including Ethereum in the last year outperforming Bitcoin um but, but the altcoins also have greater volatility how do you evaluate the altcoins relative to bitcoin and what do you say to altcoin investors
2: well from from a um investment point of view i think it's uh it, it's a great move i think people that invested in ethereum did better than i did last year <laughs> because it, <laughs> uh, of course i'm a bitcoin maximalist i believe in the uh decentralization that bitcoin brings and the uh uh, the fact that it's the biggest biggest one out there, and that bitcoin is a protocol uh but i I sure see a lot of business cases that maybe do not um, depend on that on that on that um decentralization as much as a money use case would be as a bitcoin use case would be, but more on um well, uh, the, the ICOs that we saw, or, or more, more recently, the uh, DeFi and, and, and NFT markets that are built on other uh, coins. So, so yeah, I, I certainly see it as a very broad um, ecosystem. I am a Bitcoin maximalist, so I think that in the end, um, NFTs and DeFi and all that will be built on the much more secure and decentralized Bitcoin uh, chain. But yeah, I can see it's happening right now on Ethereum and Solana and all the other uh, coins, and, and that it, it, it has network effects too. So it might be too late for Bitcoin to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to start that as well. But it's, it's, it's certainly very interesting. But for me, the most the decentralized part, so the fact that Ethereum, for example, the main Ethereum chain, runs with one company in fura, and if, if there's something wrong or, or if a government wants to control that chain, it can go to one place and 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 close it down and then it's over. Um, that's why all the pre- predecessors of Bitcoin failed and with bitcoin, of course, there's hundred thousand nodes everybody can run their own nodes easily, and uh, governments cannot close it down and that's the yeah i think I think when there's uh, a need for decentralization in a crisis situation, or when a, a government or a company is trying to take control of a chain, then you'll see the uh, big advantage that that real decentralized chains like Bitcoin, and in fact, there's only one is Bitcoin has. But right now, I see a, uh, a yeah, a very diverse, a very broad spectrum of coins and, 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 and tokens that are are doing very interesting stuff to be like NFTs that's, that's, that's just brilliant. It, it's also pump and dump. It's also you see the same thing as with ICOs that it's, it's the Wild West out there.
0: Well uh, this is a follow-up to that plan B. you know there's there's this existential debate between proof of work, which is Bitcoin and proof of stake. And other models that, that altcoins use to power and verify their network, and you know as we all know, Bitcoin has never been hacked, and the Bitcoin blockchain has never gone down. That can't be said for a lot of these proof of stake chains. So, you know, something like Solana, which is the, one of the best performers in 2021, uh, has had issues with outages. There was also a hack of a wormhole between Ethereum and Solana uh, in in recent weeks. Um, that, that led to about 300 plus million dollars worth of uh, Solana wrapped Ethereum being pilfered. Um, but there's also, you know, a lot of commentators who say, well, Bitcoin's not the future because proof of work is not environmentally friendly, and and all those types of things. But what do you say to people who are huge advocates of proof of stake and think that you know any any crypto future has to involve proof of stake? What is, you know, for, for our listeners who are less familiar with the trade-offs between those two, why is Bitcoin, you know, the, the true store of value and the true you know, decentralized network that's gonna be a durable store of value over time?
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly the point. The proof of stake versus proof of work. And and proof of work. Um, With Bitcoin, it 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 is the most um, important thing that Bitcoin added to the already existing technologies like uh, asymmetric uh, encryption that we do with the public and the private keys, and the peer to peer network that we know from BitTorrent. So, so Bitcoin is basically that uh, asymmetric um, um, encryption, BitTorrent's peer to peer kind of network structure, and proof of work. And proof of work is what Makes the, the coin secure. So you need miners. You need to spend real dollars to um, to uh, uh, hash the, the the blocks and to secure the, the chain. And with proof of stake, um, you, you you sort of go back to the fiat world, where the 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 one with the most coins, the one with the most value invested in that chain, has the power to um, to, to to do whatever it, whatever they please. And and it's so in my view, it's a step back. Yes, it, it doesn't take all the mining, it doesn't take all the uh miners and all the all the power that's required with Bitcoin. So you, you can label it, you can marketing it as um, um environmentally friendly, but it it sets you back one step uh to the old system that we know, the fiat system. So the ones with the power with all the coins with the money, uh, they run the show, and that's what you don't want. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, for me, it's 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 clear that proof of work is the only thing, and um, a proof of stake is just just a, a step back, and 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 that's also why you see those problems that you mentioned. Like, um, um, yeah, it, it, it can be it can be um, abused by. The happy few, and uh, right. and maybe that's okay for an NFT um, use case or for a DeFi use case, but it certainly is not for a global money use case.
0: There's been an ebb and flow in global regulation around crypto and Bitcoin. China obviously has stepped in and banned any Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin activity. Generally, India, it sounded like they were going to ban it. Now they're planning, it sounds like, just to tax it at around 30%. Different countries have also evolved their views on regulating Bitcoin. In the United States, it's still an open question, but it's pretty apparent they're not going to ban Bitcoin. It's just about how they're going to treat Bitcoin and other uh, altcoins in the crypto ecosystem. So as a European looking at the United States and looking around the world, uh, but particularly in the United States, what do you think uh, regulation will look like and how do you think it will affect Bitcoin prices and the blockchain?
2: Oh, difficult question. I don't know how they will look like, but I think the US is, is, has done a better job than China in not banning it, but regulating it and taxing it. And, and, and I guess that's the question that all the governments have to answer uh, for themselves. Do we embrace this new technology, this new money technology, or do we ban it and 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 kill it? Um, and I guess it's the same game, game theoretical arguments uh, at play that the first mover advantage that a country has by putting um, great regulation in place uh, that brings them all the engineers and the brains and the capital and, and the venture capital, that, that's something that they have to, to really consider. And and I, I guess America is doing a better job than China there, but of course, Canada, Europe, uh, and even El Salvador are, are seeing this as well. So I think in the end, it will be a competition and the company or the country that has the best regulation will win this 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 game and the next crypto valley if you will will be in the country that has the best regulation. So yeah it's and I guess from from our, our origin point of view America with its freedom and, and, and entrepreneurship should be well positioned to uh, to capture a large share of this 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 new technology market.
0: Well, plan B, let's let's wrap it up there. It's been a pleasure to have you on uh, a second time here on Salt Talks to follow up on the brilliant conversation that we started with a couple of years ago when we uh, first dived into Bitcoin on the SkyBridge side of the house. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, hope to talk to you again soon. And thank you, as always, for all your wisdom related to Bitcoin and everything going on in the world. John, Anthony, thank you very much.
1: Great. Great to be on with you, plan B. We're uh... We're following stock to flow. John and I haven't lost our faith in the brilliance of that analysis. So uh, hopefully next year at this time, we'll be uh, seeing higher numbers for Bitcoin.
2: For sure. Thank you, Anthony.
0: Thank you again, Plan B, for joining us on Salt Talk for the second time. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's Salt Talk with Plan B. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this episode or any of our previous episodes, you can access them on our website. at salt.org talks or on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. Uh, we're also on social media. Twitter is where we're most active at Salt Conference, but we're also on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook as well. And please spread the word about these Salt Talks. Uh, on behalf of Anthony and the entire Salt team, this is John Darcy signing off from Salt Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon.